Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Welcome to 2020. Here we are providing clear vision into a new decade. Man, is that corny. Anyway, you're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek here on the American Family Radio Network. And it's time to go back and review some of the emails I got to the show I did about four weeks ago called Why Evangelicals Voted for Trump. I wanted enough people to respond to that so we could have an interesting conversation regarding that. And uh, for those of you that didn't listen to that podcast, it goes back to, I think, December 7th, a day that will live in infamy. And I gave four reasons why I thought most evangelicals or at least a majority of evangelicals voted for Trump. And this was all prompted by an article in Rolling Stone that I happened to be in because of a meeting that I was a part of in the Trump Tower prior to the election. Now, I don't have time to go through, obviously, that entire show again. But I I thought that there were five major reasons why evangelicals voted for Trump. Number one, there was no other good alternative. Number two, people voted for a president, not a pastor. Number three, policy trumps demeanor. Number four, judges, judges, judges. And number five, Trump fights important battles that other conservatives won't. Okay, so those were the five reasons I thought that most evangelicals, 81 percent or so, voted for Trump. And as I said, this was not an endorsement of Trump or anything. It was just simply saying, here's why I think evangelicals voted for Trump. Now, since then, as you know, Christianity Today has come out with a editorial saying that Trump ought to be removed from office. We'll talk about that a little bit. But I more want to concentrate on some of the responses that I got. Most of the people uh, voted or voted. Most of the people emailed me and said they agreed. Those are the five reasons and they agreed. That's why they voted for Trump. But there were a couple of people in particular that had long responses and they didn't really disagree that these were the five reasons evangelicals voted for Trump. They seemed to agree those were the reasons. But the folks that wrote, the two folks in particular that wrote, said that they couldn't vote for Trump, and they seem to be saying that no Christian should vote for Trump. So I want to give them some airtime here and uh, deal with, with what they've said. And before we get into that, I just want to ask a few questions that I think will set the table for, uh, for this discussion. The first question is, what is the purpose of government? Why do we have a government at all? That's the first question. Number two, what is your primary reason for choosing a president? And then number three, who of the available candidates will best fulfill the primary reason you're voting for a president? So you're looking at the purpose of government, the purpose essentially of a president. Why would you choose such a person? What do you want that person to do? And then who of the available candidates will best do that? Nobody's going to do it perfectly. We know that. But of the available candidates that you have, who is going to fulfill that purpose? Now, we talked about this before, but the basic purpose of government is to protect innocent people from evil. Paul talks about this in Romans 13. 
Protect innocent people from evil. Tad, uh, just a yesterday, uh, the day before, we had a missile attack in Iran, or in Iraq, actually, on one of the Iranian leaders. Apparently, according to the Associated Press, this guy was like the number two most powerful person in the Iranian government. And he had, as everybody is admitting, fostered or or provoked or actually led attacks against Americans abroad. And so apparently President Trump said, and one of the things he led or one of the incidents he was behind was the raiding of the embassy there in Baghdad just a few days ago. And President Trump apparently thought, well, this guy has made himself a target and we're going to take him out in the interest of protecting innocent people from evil. Paul says the government or the leader doesn't bear the sword for nothing. In a fallen world with fallen people, sometimes force is going to be necessary. And there are times when that is necessary to protect innocent people from evil. So that's the main reason we have a government to protect innocent people from evil. As James Madison famously said, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. That's the reason we have governments. Anarchy is not a good solution or a good alternative to government. And I've asked this question of you guys before, just a thought experiment. If the police were to say that tomorrow for 24 hours, there will be no prosecution of any crime. You can do whatever you want and you will never be prosecuted for it. Would would the Lexus dealer survive? Would Best Buy survive? Would you survive? Somebody wanted had a grudge against you and wanted to kill you and, and, and put get, get you out of their way, they could do so in that 24 hours. How many people would be murdered, raped, killed? What, how, many, how many homes would be burglarized? How many dealerships would be vandalized? How, I mean, it would be chaos. So we need government. That's the purpose of government. Now, why do we choose a president? Well, primarily to fulfill those duties, to execute the laws duly passed. He's the executive. He is the executive of the nation, so he is supposed to have an administration that executes the laws that have been passed by Congress and signed by the president. Or if they've been passed by Congress and vetoed by the president and Congress has overridden them, he's still obligated to execute those laws. That's why we have a president. Now, let's go to Jesus here for a minute before we look at the emails. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23 is talking to Pharisees, and of course there are other people listening as well, but the Pharisees were the political leaders of Israel, in addition to being religious leaders. Some of them were members of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish ruling council that, as you know, sentenced Jesus to die. They were sort of like the Jewish Supreme Court, and Rome delegated much of the lawmaking authority to the Sanhedrin. So these are politicians, and Jesus goes after these people. And what does he say to them? Here's Matthew 23, 23. Easy to remember. Matthew 23, 23. And this is in the middle of a long scolding of these religious politicians. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. What's Jesus' rebuke to these politicians? 
He's saying you're majoring in the minors. You're tithing your spices, but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law, the more important matters of the law. What's the implication here? Some issues are more important than other issues. Some laws are more important than other laws. Yes, you can be guilty of breaking the entire law in Jewish theology by breaking one law, but that doesn't mean that all the laws are equal. And Paul or Jesus even implies that when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? He's implying a hierarchy. Well, the greatest commandment is to love God and then love one another. That's the second greatest commandment. Okay, so there's a hierarchy. Some things are more important than others. So if he's scolding the politicians of Israel for neglecting the weightier matters of the law, the more important matters, then when we are faced with a choice of politicians, we have to ensure that we are not neglecting the more important matters of the law. And so when you look at uh, the choices you have whenever you're about to vote, you, ha- you should be voting on what's the more important matters of the law. Yes, there are other issues that are important as well, but what is the most important or what are the most important issues you ought to be voting on? And so this will help guide our discussion as I, as we, as I respond to a couple of people who disagreed with uh, what I had said in the last podcast or the show that I did it four weeks ago called Why Evangelicals Voted for Trump. So after the break, we'll get to that. But before we do, I want to mention that Bobby Conway is going to be teaching Doubting Toward Faith, the online course that begins next, next week. You might as well start fresh this year. If you've had doubts, here's your chance to get rid of them. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online Christian courses. You'll see it there. Back in just two minutes. Don't go away. Ladies and gentlemen, can you help me with something? Can you help me get this podcast before more people? Not only tell your friends about it, but go up to iTunes and put a five-star review on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. If you do that, it will help us move the podcast up the charts so more people will hear it. Thank you so much for partnering with me on this. Welcome to 2020, a new decade. My wife and I were just talking the other day. That, think about this. I'm 58 years old now. This is my seventh decade. I'm starting my seventh decade. Man, that sounds old. My dad, who's 83, is in his 10th decade. Think about that. He, he, he's been in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, now 2020 and past. That's 10 decades. And I'm entering my seventh. Man, I sound old. Well, I guess I am. (sighs) Well, anyway, we've got limited time to uh, make disciples of all nations. So that's what we're trying to do here at I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. We're talking about uh, some email responses I got to the program regarding why evangelicals voted for Trump. You can go back and listen to that uh, podcast on our iTunes I don't have enough faith to be an atheist podcast, and thank you so much for putting positive reviews up there. It helps move it up the charts so more people can hear the podcast. But uh, I, obviously, I can't go back and cover everything we covered there. I just want to read uh, excerpts from long responses that some uh, Christian writers wrote in. One of these is from a gentleman by the name of Austin, and I won't give last names because uh, this person's not here to interact. I There's no reason to do that. But... Um, he he supports what we do here at the ministry, but he says, uh, Dr. Turek, more important than whether Trump is the standard 
Christianity is whether he is viewed as a standard bearer for Christianity. I believe he is, sadly, by millions. Having just finished a bachelor's in a public university, which is increasingly increasingly progressive in the field of psychology, which is progressive to a laughable extent, I know personally countless examples of individuals who view him this way. Okay, let me start. Let me stop right here and point out that just because people who are not Christians misunderstand um, something about Christianity doesn't mean that you're then therefore obligated to not do what you think is right according to Christianity. So just because people may misunderstand and think Trump is your standard bearer for Christianity doesn't mean that if if you uh, if you think Trump is the better choice than, say, Hillary, you shouldn't vote for Trump. Okay, now again, this is not a show to say to endorse Trump or any of that. I'm just thinking through these issues with you. And uh, yeah, there may be people that erroneously think that Trump is the standard bearer because a lot of Christians voted for Trump. And I'm going to get into the reasons why that's not the case here in just a minute. But that's no reason for you to then say, well, gee, I guess I can't vote for Trump then because people outside of Christianity misunderstand uh, the fact that I voted for Trump. I mean, if you had voted for Hillary, would they think Hillary was the standard bearer for Christianity? No, they'd never say that. So anyway, let me continue with what this gentleman says. He says, um, there's a lack of of condemnation from outspoken Christian politicians and public pastors of Trump's appalling behavior. Let me agree with you. I think, as I've said before, I think that there are too many cheerleaders out there who claim to be Christians who won't say any negative, corrective thing about the president. And I've said many things that I think are that Trump does wrong, his rude behavior. I agree with you. Okay, we ought to call all politicians out when they do something that we think is immoral. So I don't disagree with you there. But again, that's not the biggest issue. That's not the most important issue at this point. Uh, Austin goes on to say that uh, Trump's status as POTUS, president of the United States, uh, he's viewed as a standard bearer. And that is deeply problematic he may not be worshipped widely, but he is championed, championed widely by evangelicals. Okay, now this is me responding. Okay, he's championed, championed widely by evangelicals. Is he championed for being a Christian or for being a president? That's my question. I don't think many Christians are championing Donald Trump for being a Christian. But they are saying, we like the policies he's promoting as president. He says, I agree uh, with this is back to Austin again. Um, so so while the terms worship and the standard bearer are, are hyperbolic, I agree with their intended meaning that he is unavoidably, um, actually entirely avoidable. Had Christians voted their Jesus rather than their frustrations, a standard bearer. Uh, I would urge you to consider how Donald Trump's brashness and now inextricable connection with Christianity could. And has hurt our ability to witness to certain people. That, I feel, is worthy of discussion. Okay, that's Austin. Let me agree with you. I I agree it's worthy of discussion. That's why I'm reading your comment on the air, Austin. Christians, as I just said, Christian leaders should correct the president and not make excuses for his rude behavior. I personally have on this program. Now, this show is not 
a show that's centered on politics. We do talk po- about politics sometimes because it is an aspect of our Christian obligation, an aspect of reality that, that, that Christianity impacts just like it impacts other aspects of reality. But this is not a show where I talk about Trump every, every, every week. In fact, we talk about politics and maybe 20% of the time, 80% of the time we're talking about other issues, apologetics, theology, philosophy, those kind of things, okay? But I do talk about it. I will say this, though. I know there are people on his council, his Evangelical Advisory Council, and according to them, they do correct him privately. Now, you say maybe they ought to come out publicly. Well, you, you know how politics works. And th- by the way, this is, this is even true in business. You correct privately and you applaud publicly. Otherwise, people are going to get their ruffle, their feathers ruffled. Now, you might say, well, I want to make an argument that Christians ought to publicly rebuke the president. Well, maybe some do. I know some, some have been a part of that evangelical council and maybe have left because of that. But that's a judgment call on their part. Uh, I don't see many Christian leaders excusing Trump's rude behavior. They may not talk about it very much, but they don't excuse it when asked. Okay, but I agree with you that they ought to talk more about it if they're given the opportunity. Now, let me say this. When a Christian chooses Donald Trump for president over Hillary, Hillary Clinton or any of the current Democratic candidates, because actually they've all gone further left than Hillary Clinton since 2016. When a Christian chooses Trump over those people for president. The Christian is not saying that Trump is my standard bearer for Christianity. Just because the media insists that's the truth doesn't mean it is. Jesus is the standard bearer for all Christians. Christianity doesn't exist for politics. It's not a political party. Christianity exists because God exists, and we are sinners. And Jesus came to rescue us by by giving us the gift of himself, and he gives that to us by grace. Christianity is all about grace. When it comes to personal salvation. Now, that does have implications on politics, obviously. And that's what we're talking about here today. Christianity has implications on politics as it does all aspects of life. But as I pointed out on, on, on this show four weeks ago, Christianity does not have a politician or any other mortal as its standard bearer. Jesus is our standard bearer. Even if the media tries to claim, oh, no, he's your standard bearer. No, he's not. He may be our president, but he's not our standard bearer for Christian behavior. Choosing Trump for president doesn't make Trump a standard bearer for Christianity any more than choosing Hillary for president makes her a standard bearer for Christianity. Choosing Trump for president doesn't make Trump a standard bearer for Christianity any more than choosing an Amazon product makes Jeff Bezos a standard for Christianity. When you're choosing a president... Among the limited options you have, you're not choosing a missionary, you're not choosing a Bible teacher, you're not choosing a pastor, you're not choosing a pope, you're choosing a president whose main job is to advocate for policies that protect innocent people from evil and to promote the common good. That's the purpose of government. That's why we started out with those questions. What is the purpose of government? And why would you choose a president? What is the main reason you're choosing a president? Again, the primary reason you select a president is for his policies, not his personality. His policies, not his demeanor. Now, as I've mentioned before, I personally give Trump an A- minus on policy and a D on demeanor. His Democratic opponents with their anti-life, anti-marriage, anti-religious freedom, anti-national security, open borders policies – 
And of course, their anti-prosperity socialist agenda, which hasn't worked anywhere in the world because it misunderstands human nature. With all of those policies they support, in my view, they get an F on policy. So it doesn't matter how good their demeanor is. You can have great demeanor, but if the primary reason you're putting a president into office is for policy reasons, then the demeanor doesn't overwhelm that. Now, I've also said this many times, that I want a president to be good on policy and good on demeanor. And I think Trump's demeanor contributes to the coarseness of our culture. And Christian leaders, again, should correct him on that. But if I can only have one, if it's a choice between policy and a choice between demeanor, policy trumps demeanor. You choose a president primarily for his policies. That's his constitutionally ordained role. He's going to implement policies and support policies, support and implement. And that's why you put him in there. It goes back to what I mentioned on the program four weeks ago. When you choose a surgeon, why are you primarily choosing a surgeon? You're choosing a surgeon because of the surgery he does. Now, if you have a surgeon who has a great demeanor, but he's not really a good surgeon, are you going to choose him over a surgeon that is a great surgeon, but has a bad demeanor, a bad bedside manner? No, you're obviously going to go with the good surgeon. You hope your surgeon has both, but if he doesn't, you're there for the surgery, not because he pats your hand before he cuts you open. So, again, don't get me wrong. I wish we had both in one guy. At this point, we don't. We don't have both. This goes back to Jesus' saying where he says you've neglected the more important matters of the law. If you're going to vote for a guy based on his personality rather than his policies, you're neglecting the more important matters of the law. Do you know you have people in this country telling us what light bulbs we should and shouldn't use, but they won't tell us don't kill our children, either inside the womb or even now as soon as the baby is born outside the womb. These people are neglecting the more important matters of the law when they tell us what light bulbs to use. But they're allowing us to kill our children. And they're even using government funds to kill our children. Now, this even came out in the, in the, gee, sorry, just getting tired here. (laughs) When it comes out in the Christianity Today editorial, if you haven't read it, you should go read it. It's very well written by Mark Galley. He's the, uh, the editor over there. Now, there's been a big controversy over this whole thing. Uh, I will say it's well-written. I will say it was a bold move. I don't agree with it, but he, he gave his opinion. Okay, I can respect that. And here's what he says right in the middle of this Christianity Today article. He says, can we say with a straight face that abortion is a great evil that cannot be tolerated? And with the same straight face say that the bent and broken character of our nation's leader doesn't really matter in the end? Well, I'm going to respond to that right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk right here on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. Our app, two words in the app store, crossexamined. Our YouTube channel, crossexamined. Sign up for it back in two. 
If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. All right, let me go back to what Christianity Today said in the middle of their editorial. You can read the entire editorial, and you should. As I say, it's well-written. Uh, it's at Christianity Today. Just search for Just Google Christianity Today Trump. You'll find it. Anyway, Mark Galley, the uh, editor there, says, Can we say with a straight face that abortion is a great evil that cannot be tolerated and with the same straight face say that the bent and broken character of our nation's leader doesn't really matter in the end? Unquote. Okay, here's my response. No one that I know about who's a Christian is saying the character doesn't matter. And no one who's a Christian is saying Trump is a choir boy. No one's saying that. The question is, what do you mean by character? Do you mean his demeanor or his record of following through on his policy promises? Trump's demeanor is a problem. We've already been through that. But he is following through on his policy promises, and that is more important when it comes to why you put somebody in the presidency. So, yes, let me say with a straight face to CT that saving babies is more important than, than demeanor. Again, I'd like to save babies and be nice, but I could. But if I could only have one or the other, give me the saved babies. And this is this was put beautifully by Dennis Prager. For those of you who don't know Dennis Prager, he's a brilliant um, conservative Jewish radio host who has put together Trump and uh, Trump. Trump, duh! I got Trump on the mind. Why we're talking about Trump? Prager University five minute, really succinct videos. If you haven't availed yourself of Prager University, just go to YouTube, look up Prager University. You'll see all these these great little videos that explain so many issues in a very succinct and colorful way. And he also has a a number of columns. Dennis writes a column very frequently. And he wrote a column uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Let me get the exact title of this. Oh, it's a response to the editor of Christianity Today. And you can Google that and find that. In any event... Here is just an expert excerpt of it. I can't read the whole thing. Don't have time. Anyways, anyways, he, he Prager says the gist of the Christianity Today editorial and of most religious and conservative opposition to President Trump is that any good the president has done is dwarfed by his character defects. This is an amoral view that says more about Galley than it does about the president. He and the people who share his opinion are making the following statement. No matter how much good this president does, it is less important than his character flaws. Why is this wrong? First, because it devalues the policies that benefit millions of people. And second, because it is a simplistic view of character. Now, I don't have enough time to go into the entire uh, column I say here, but I'm just going to quote some excerpts from this column. And uh, he's dealing with the benefits here, Dennis is, to the millions of people. He says to us, meaning the people that uh, are with him in supporting President Trump as president, he says to us, putting pressure on the Iranian regime, and by the way, he just did this two days ago with the missile attack, putting pressure on the Iranian regime, one of the most evil and dangerous regimes on earth, by getting 
out of the Iran nuclear deal made by former President Barack Obama is a moral issue. Even the New York Times columnist Brett Stevens, who loathes Trump, has written how important the president's rejection of the Obama-Iran agreement has been. Number two. To us, enabling millions of black Americans to find work resulting in the lowest black employment unemployment rate ever recorded is a moral issue. To us, more Americans than ever being employed and almost 4 million Americans freed from reliance on food stamps is a moral issue. To us, appointing more conservative justice than any, justices or judges than any president in history over the same period of time is a moral issue. That is... Whether the courts, including the Supreme Court, are dominated by the left or by conservatives is dismissed by Galley as political poker makes one question not only Galley's moral thinking but his moral theology. To us, moving the American embassy to Israel's capital, Jerusalem, something promised by almost every presidential candidate is a moral issue, not to mention profoundly courageous and courage is a moral virtue. To us, increasing the U.S. military budget after severe cuts of the previous eight years is a moral issue. As conservatives see it, the American military is the world's greatest guarantor of world peace. And Dennis Prager goes on. So he's pointing out the weightier matters of the law. And it's ironic that Dennis, being a Jewish man, is basically given an argument that Jesus would give over the editor of Christianity Today. Now, all right, there's more to Austin's email, uh, but we don't have time to get into it. I want to get to another email. And before I do, I want to re- remind you that... If you have doubts about Christianity, then Bobby Conway, who has written Doubting Toward Faith and is the leader of the One Minute Apologist, is starting a new course this week called Doubting Toward Faith. You can take it anytime you want if you just take the basic course, but if you want to be live on Zoom video asking questions of Bobby directly, Dr. Bobby Conway, you need to sign up Sign up for the premium version. And you can sign up anytime during this coming week, but sign up soon for Doubting Toward Faith. He'll tell you not just the intellectual reasons why you ought not doubt, but also help you through the emotional reasons you may be doubting. And then a couple of weeks after that, we have the textual criticism course with uh, Dr. Dan, uh, Dr. Dan Wallace from Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the top manuscript scholars in the world and again you can be live on zoom video asking him questions the uh, the biblical criticism or textual criticism course is available both those courses are available if you go to crossexamine.org click on online christian courses check them out there sign up soon we keep those those uh, premium courses small so you can have ample opportunity to interact live with the instructors and these are some of the best instructors of the in the world all right let me go to uh, Bruce, who writes from Utah, here's his um, email. Again, I can only read some of it. It's very long. He said, I just read the transcript to your podcast, Why Evangelicals Voted for Trump. Dr. Tur- Dr. Turk, I've heard you speak. I listen to a lot of your apologetics and admire your work greatly. Why you have a number of good points and make some cogent observations on why evangelicals may have voted for Trump. Ne- nonetheless, I'm extraordinarily disappointed in you after reading the transcript. You're not the person I would have guessed you from your apologetic work. I do not have time to read a point-by-point assessment from me, but I'll just make two points. Okay, number one, your and other evangelical leaders' failure to loudly and consistently condemn Trump's behavior, his overt racism and and misogyny, his hateful and anti-immigrant views, bullying lines, clearly selfish and self-centered and boorish behavior, is really beyond the pale. All right, let me stop right there. Bruce, I'm not sure you actually read the transcript closely. (laughs) Because I do 
talk about those issues. Although I don't agree with you, his he's he, his anti-immigrant views. He's not anti-immigrant. He's anti-illegal immigrant. And if we don't have secure borders, we don't have a country. He's right about that. And Israel had secure borders. Every nation has secure borders. You have a secure border on your house. You don't just let anybody in your house. Everybody agrees we need borders. The only question is where. In fact, I wrote a column last year. Uh, I think the title of it was something, Why Everybody Believes in Borders. You can go look that up if you want to. So I'm not sure you really listened to the program or read the transcript as closely as I think you may have suggested because I have condemned Trump and continue to condemn his boorish behavior. Then the second Uh, objection that uh, Bruce has is you make some overgeneralized statements that seemingly convict large groups of people. I'll highlight two in particular. A, all major media, though I'm sure you wouldn't include Fox News in that. Sorry, that was kind of snippy. Come on. There are certainly... There is certainly a liberal media, conservative media, and some in between. All media always has some kind of bias. You need to get out of your echo chambers and listen, discern, and process rather than generalize. Check out allsides.com. Let me commend you, Bruce. That is an outstanding website. Thank you for that. Allsides.com, ladies and gentlemen, has um, news stories that, uh, first of all, they, they rate where the, the news organization is, whether it's uh, right, center, or left. And I generally agree with how they rate these people. And so they, they put stories up from all three sides from right, center, and left. So, Bruce, that's a good website. Thank you for that recommendation, allsides.com. However, I think you're missing the point if you think that the media isn't biased left. Sure, there are some minor outlets that are maybe biased toward the right, like Breitbart, okay? Um, that doesn't mean everything they say is false, just like it doesn't mean that everything that say Slate, which is biased to the left, says is false. I'm simply saying they're coming at it from a particularly... Um, political angle but what i'm saying is the major media who are the major media abc cbs nbc pbs uh the uh new york times the washington post uh, and these people are decidedly leftist and they put their opinion on the front page as as Cal Thomas has famously said, every day I read the Bible and the New York Times just to see what both sides are doing. And if you think that there is not a liberal bias in the major media, you haven't been paying close attention. All you need to go is to go to MediaResearchCenter.org, MRC.org. Brent Bozell has been doing this for over 30 years. He, they They track everything the major media says. Do you realize... That in recent months, Trump's coverage in the major media has been 96% negative. 96%. Satan would get better coverage. Okay? (laughs) 96%. Now, I'm not... Whether you agree with Trump or disagree with Trump, that's absurd. Okay? No president is 96% negative. All right? (laughs) No president in our our history has been 96% negative. And yet that is the kind of coverage that the major media puts out. I love what Denzel Washington, the, uh, the actor who is a Christian, by the way, said. He said, if you don't watch the news, you're uninformed. If you do watch the news, you're misinformed. <laughs> He's absolutely right about that. So what do you have to do? You have to search for news that's giving you objective facts. While everybody may have a bias, that doesn't mean that people can't report, report objective facts. 
First of all, to say that everybody is biased is self-defeating. Why? Because that would mean you're biased and we shouldn't, under, we, we shouldn't take your statement that everybody is biased as true. We take that's biased as true. Sure, you may have a bias in your orientation toward a particular political viewpoint, but that doesn't mean that you can't report the facts objectively. You can report the facts objectively. I'm saying that the major media doesn't do that. It doesn't report the facts objectively. It doesn't do that. When, when, when 96% of the coverage is negative, you know they're not doing it fairly. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Uh, and I, I could, we could spend hours doing this <laughs> on this program, pointing out major media bias. We don't have time. Just go to mrc.org and click on research. You'll see it all there. All right. Secondly, the other problem that uh, Bruce brings up that says that I'm condemning large groups of people, he says, Anyone who's, a port, uh, anyone who's a part of the left, you equate with the scribes and Pharisees of whom Jesus was so critical. Uh, he says, in addition, you make the over-exaggerated accusation that the left would like to end uh, and certain things like life, liberty, and the freedom of speech. Is that an exaggerated accusation? I'll deal with it right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek right after... This two-minute break will be back, so don't go anywhere. Check out our website also, crossexamined.org. And the new online courses at at crossexamined.org. Just click on it there. See you in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. If you like what we do, would you please consider going to crossexamined.org and giving us a tax-deductible donation? 100% of your donations will go to ministry, 0% to buildings. Thanks so much. The first show of 2020, here we are, ladies and gentlemen, trying to provide clear vision on important issues everywhere. Today we're talking about the the podcast I did a couple of weeks ago, four weeks ago, the radio program I did on why evangelicals voted for Trump. I'm dealing with some objections, people who disagreed with some of the things I said. Uh, On this program, Bruce is writing in from Utah, and he said that basically that I'm exaggerating when I say the left would like to end life, liberty, and freedom of speech. And I submit to you, Bruce, that is not an exaggeration. You can go to some of the college campuses I've been, and they don't let a lot of people speak. They don't want a lot of people to uh, to speak. So freedom of speech, people don't have. The left would like to shut that down. Also, they are ending lives, certainly up to the point of birth, and now even they're advocating death after birth if the woman doesn't want the baby if there is an abortion and the baby is born live they say well just let it die okay so they are ending lives bruce they are ending liberty and freedom of speech and certainly freedom of religion you can just ask jack phillips baronel stutzman aaron and melissa klein elaine photography these are all florists bakers photographers who have been put out of business or almost put out of business by the people who say they're fighting for tolerance See, the Alliance Defending Freedom, the ADF, an organization I support because they bring a needed attorney support to people who are in trouble under assault by the left because they say in good conscience they can't participate in a same-sex wedding, either they're photographers, they're florists, they're 
their bakers, whatever. Uh, ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom, gives them counsel free of charge. These are Christian and other attorneys that are willing to, free of charge, support these people for freedom of religion and freedom of speech. The ADF wouldn't be necessary if the left didn't exist. Okay? Uh, And then you take issue to something I quoted from Ed Mang. I don't have time to read it again, but I've since learned, thankfully, a... uh, a listener to this program alerted me to the fact that although I read a comment from Ed Mang, it probably wasn't Ed Mang who originally wrote that. He pa- copied and pasted a column by Evan Sayet, S-A-Y-E-T, at townhall.com. This column was written in 2017, July 13, 2017, and the column is He Fights. And your Bruce is writing in saying that that column was claiming that the when, when Ed says, or really it was Evan who said that the left has been engaged in a war against America since the rise of the children of the '60s. That this is an overgeneralization, an exaggeration. And and Bruce writes, "Don't you have any friends who are liberals? Are they not humans? Are they not made in the image of God? Or friends who are liberal and Christian? Yes, it's possible. Again, Bruce, I do not think you actually listen to the show." Because I said that's where I departed from Ed's comments or Evan Sayet's comments. I think we're all made in the image of God and deserve respect. I love all people, but I don't agree with all people. And in fact, you're not agreeing with me right now. That's why you wrote this email. But I assume you love me. In fact, in order to love people, you have to disagree with them if they are advocating harmful policies. And uh, Bruce goes on to write this. He writes... I believe this podcast is just contributing to the enormous difficulty already experienced people already experience in trying to engage in civil discourse. Why would I engage with someone who views me as less than or the worst sort of human? Again, Bruce, I don't know what what podcast you were reading or what transcript you were reading. I said exactly the opposite, that everybody's made in the image of God and we shouldn't we we shouldn't treat people with disrespect and that's one of the problems i have with trump sometimes he does disrespect people i don't agree with that but bruce i'm open to debating everyone respect uh, respectfully but too often leftists don't want to debate they want to cancel the debate by calling conservatives bigots and bigots and haters so there's no reason to lecture me or any other conservatives because with very few exceptions Conservatives are eager to debate the issues reasonably. It's the left that doesn't want to debate. Many on the left will attempt to put you out of business for even wanting to debate an issue. And if you don't think so, Bruce, again, you haven't been paying attention. You haven't been paying attention to the people I mentioned earlier, to the Baron Stutzmans of the world, Baron L. Stutzmans of the world, to the Jack Phillips of the world, to the Elaine Photographies of the world, to the to the Aaron and Melissa Kleins of the world, or to the Frank Turek's of the world. Yeah, I want to go back to nine years ago, 2011. I'm doing corporate training for companies like Cisco and Bank of America. And I actually get fired by those companies because in my own private time, I wrote a book called Correct Not Politically Correct, How Same-Sex Marriage Hurts Everyone. And it was leftists within the organization that wanted me fired. Not because I brought this topic up at, at, in, in my training at all, but because I held a different political view than they did. Now, I wrote a column 
called Sex at Work about this. Now, by the way, do not Google that. Do not Google Sex at Work, okay? <laughs> Go to crossexamine.org, crossexamine.org, and click on the search button there and type in Sex at Work and you'll find the column. I explain what really happened there. In the name of inclusion, tolerance, and diversity, I was excluded and not tolerated for holding a diverse view. And I find this to be the prevalent attitude of people on the left. Not everybody. People like Andrew Sullivan, who's a homosexual man, uh, who is for same-sex marriage, obviously. He gets it. He understands that it's not right to do this to people who you disagree with politically. So there are notable exceptions. But generally, Bruce, the left in this country wants to shut the debate down. And it's not just on issues of same-sex marriage. It's the issues on climate change. It's the issues on Trump, even. It's the issues on immigration. They call you names rather than giving you arguments. So I stand by what I said in that previous column, which apparently, in the previous podcast, which apparently you really didn't read closely. (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I can't help that, but it's there. Go back and look at it. And I appreciate you writing in and giving me your opinion I just don't think that you're you're really looking at the issues uh, clearly and fairly because I don't think you you listened to the podcast or read the transcript closely. And uh, I think the left is more of a threat to our freedoms than you really think they are. And that that freedom, by the way, includes our ability to not only preach the gospel, but, but then to live it as well. Okay, you can't just say, well, churches are going to be exempt from such and such a law. That's that's nonsense. Even if they were exempt from such and such a law, that might that might that might protect the pastor, but it's not going to protect the people in the church who then go have to who, who then go out into the world and try and live the Christian life. The left wants you to prevent you from doing that. So again, look at the issues a little bit more closely. All right, let me get to at least one question that you have sent in. Uh, in just the remaining minutes I have, a a couple of you have written in about your children going to college and leaving the faith. What's your advice? You're asking me what's my advice. In fact, I called a gentleman yesterday who had written in about this uh, to help talk him off the ledge. The first thing you want to do, parents, if someone writes in or or if if one of your children calls you and says, Dad, I don't believe in God anymore after they went to college, do not freak out, okay? Number one, don't do that. Because then they're not going to be open to discussing the matter with you. In fact, uh, uh, Josh McDowell, the famous apologist, had his son, Sean McDowell, when Sean was about 20, come to him and say, Dad, I don't know if I believe what you believe. Now, Josh, to his credit, didn't freak out. He simply said in typical Josh manner, hey, that's great, son, because your faith can't be my faith. You need to investigate this for yourself. He said, but let me just ask you one thing. As you investigate the evidence, will you promise to me that you will follow the evidence where it leads? And Sean said, yes, I will, Dad. And then Josh said, great. Well, then let's look at the evidence together. Well, today, Sean is a PhD, and he's teaching apologetics at Biola. Okay? So don't freak out because you want your child to come to you with these questions, and you want to work through this with your child rather than than ostracize them or make them feel uncomfortable when they bring up doubts about Christianity. That's one of the problems we have in the church today. People are afraid to bring up their doubts. They're afraid to ask questions. You should be the person they want to go to first with questions. 
So that's number one. Don't freak out. Be open to it. And then ask them this question. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Or if you want to take Christianity out of it, say, if Jesus really rose from the dead to prove he was God, would you follow him? And then be quiet and see what they say. If the person hesitates or says no, you know the problem is not intellectual. It's volitional or moral. They don't want it to be true. Look, they're out at college. They're on their own for the first time. I get it. You get it. You've been there. You don't want to do everything your parents said when you go to college. You don't want God to exist in many, in many cases when you go to college. God's inconvenient. And so point out to them that it's not really an intellectual issue. The gentleman I was talking to last night has his son bringing up all these objections about the gospel of Thomas and all this. And you can go down that rabbit trail if you want, but the gospel of Thomas is not his issue. Something else is going on. Okay, you want to find out if he's really open to the truth. If he's not, then you need to deal with that issue. You need to pray more and talk less. That's what Dr. Geisroys used to say when kids rebelled. Pray more, talk less. This is not a matter of God's existence. It's a matter of the kid's resistance. He doesn't want Christianity to be true right now. So ask the question. And then you can go through the evidence if the kid is open to the evidence. All right. If it's just a matter of intellectual doubt, that's easy. You can get books like I don't have enough faith to be an atheist or on guard from from William Lane Craig or mere Christianity from C.S. Lewis or cold case Christianity from J. Warner Wallace or a million other books. Okay, evidence is easy. It's the emotional, volitional, moral issues that arise that cause people to say, look, I don't want God to exist. I want to go my own way for that. You got to ask questions. And you got to pray more and talk less. All right, friends, I'm Frank Turek. Great being with you. And I'll be with you again next week, Lord willing. Don't forget about Doubting Toward Faith, the new online course coming up this week and a couple of weeks from now. The course on textual criticism with the great Dan Wallace. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. See you next week. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.